Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, everybody. Give everyone one more minute. We'll get started this morning in our Sunday school hour. You guys are already chatting with somebody, but just smile at somebody. It's going to be a great day. It's a little nippy outside, a little chilly, but it's going to be on fire in here. Amen. Amen. And as everyone is kind of getting settled this morning, I do want to take a moment and give honor where honor is due. And I honor our pastor and first lady. They're obviously not in here right now. Sister Valerie is here. But I do honor them for this opportunity to stand before you guys and teach once again. Never do I take it lightly. Um, There's definitely a weight behind standing in this office. And I want to do my best not only to... uh, Give God all the glory, but to represent living hope. Amen? If you have your Bibles, and if you don't mind, we'll get a little calisthenics in. If you want to stand for the reading of the word this morning, we're going to go to Psalms chapter 27. When you get there, you say amen. You can cheat and look at the screens if you want to, but hopefully you brought your own Bible this morning. When you get there, say amen. I got a quorum. Most of y'all have said it already. And what we're going to do this morning is let's just go. I know it's somewhat of not really a lengthy passage of scripture, but let's go ahead and read the whole psalm this morning. And it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Amen. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is The strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, we sing this, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me and he shall set me up upon a rock. Amen. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said, for thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, 
Then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, until the lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the last this morning says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Would you put your Bibles down? If you don't mind, would you lift a hand unto the Lord this morning as we pray? God, thank you for what you're going to do in this place. God, thank you for God, breath in my body. Thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear today, God. And as we've come, Lord, to God, have this Sunday school hour. God, would you teach us from your word? God, speak to us, God, from your word. God, as David said, God, let us hide this word in our heart, Lord, so we will not sin against you. Lord, I pray, challenge us, God, convict us, draw us nearer unto you today, God, so that we can be transformed and more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you may be seated. So we just read it, Psalms chapter 27, and this morning we're just kind of going to we're just going to stay right there. We're going to dig around in this chapter, see how much we can learn. And, and as we look deeper in Psalms 27, I'd like to teach on the topic, seek to hide. Seek to hide. Now, many of you know that the author of Psalms 27 is none other than David. How many of you enjoy learning about David? Is any of you got a favorite character in the Bible? Is David one of your favorite characters. I see no hands. That is shocking. Shocking. Okay, I got a few. I got a few. I have a few. Um, If you have been paying attention over the last few weeks, over the last months, um, then you know that all the lessons we've been learning during this Sunday school hour, um, all the Psalms, all the places we got our texts from were written by primarily David. And uh, Brother Mitchell taught us uh, at the beginning of this sort of series, he taught us about David's hidden agenda. Anybody remember that when he taught on that? And that the best place to hide the word of God is in our hearts. He, Brother Mitchell, also taught last week on praise and worship and how God is greatly to be praised. And David, he really was expressive in his worship um, Obviously, he played a harp, he sang songs, he wrote many of the psalms that that we've been reading over the last few weeks, but David was a worshiper. At any any time, he was ready to praise God. And then the last time I was privileged to stand here and teach, I taught on the refuge of the secret place. And each of these lessons, the texts where we got, you know, our, our scripture from, they were written by David. And David... To me, he's such an interesting and unique character of the Bible. I don't have the information laid out in front of me. I know I'm a C, Sister Valerie. I'm the factual person. Um, But I'm confident that of all people that we read about in the word of God, David is most likely, this is the Trey Henderson version of it, but David is most likely in the top five of characters in the Bible just with content about his life. We read about 
David's whole life is, is written about in such detail that maybe Moses or the Apostle Paul, obviously Jesus, they're the only people I can kind of compare David to as far as the content that we get when we read about a specific person's life. And so as we look at this subject this morning of seeking and, and hiding in the Lord, David's testimony would absolutely qualify him as an expert on these subjects. Many of you know the story of David and Goliath, right? This underdog, this scrawny, young, strapping lad, the Bible calls him a young lad. Um, he defeats this giant, and you would think that it would be all sunshine and rainbows after David defeats such a foe, right? Everyone would be ecstatic that David has won such a great battle. Obviously, those warriors and, and, and soldiers on the battlefield were, were happy about what, what David did. But if you read 1 Samuel chapter 18, you would find that after David has defeated this giant, his life actually takes a turn for the worst. Why would people, I mean, some of the people celebrated what David had done, but there were a few that, that didn't like what had happened. And even though David would go on to marry King Saul's daughter, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but her name is very close to my wife's name, so I'm just going to call her Michelle. Um, David goes on to marry Saul's daughter, Michelle, and David also, in this time after defeating the giant, he becomes best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. But even though these cool things are happening in David's life, a rivalry began to develop between young David and King Saul. And Saul eventually begins to plot to kill David. And David has little choice in the matter because he's not the king yet. And so we find David fleeing. And eventually he even runs to the enemy. He runs against the people that he was fighting against. He runs to the people that he just killed a giant from their, from their tribe. He runs right to them in the cases. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 9, if you want to read there, it says, and, uh, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. And as he sat in his house, I think this is verse 8, with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. David's playing the harp in Saul's presence. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped out or slipped away out of Saul's presence. And Saul smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And here's Michelle again. Michelle, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So as a good wife, Michelle let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And this is the first instance where David is officially on the run for his life. And little did David know that Again, he defeated this giant. He's now a general in, in Saul's army. You would think everything's going right for him, but now the king is wanting to kill him. And so little did David know that this decision to flee from King Saul would start a cycle of similar cases of him running for his life for years. 
I don't know if you've ever been on the run for your life, but it's one thing to run from trouble, to run from a fight one time, right? You retreat, tactically retreat. That's what we call it, right? You don't want to fight. But it's another thing to be playing hide and seek with your foe for a decade or more. That's a long time to be running. And David would go on to have many, many hiding places during his years of running from King Saul. But one by one, each hiding place was discovered and eventually overrun by Saul and his soldiers. In 1 Samuel 19, just summarizing, David ran to, here he is after fleeing from his wife, let him down through the window. The first place David runs to is the prophet and mentor in his life, Samuel. And you would think this prophet could help David, but the old prophet could not protect David as Saul found out where David was. So Saul and his army follows David there. In 1 Samuel chapter 21 tells us that after running again, David is now running to the house of the Lord. He's running to the priest, Ahimelech. But later on, one of Saul's servants, Doeg, the Edomite, he would tattletale on David saying, hey, Saul, this is where David is. And then Saul would follow David there. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, David is now hiding in the wilderness of Ziph. But the Ziphites betray his location to King Saul. In that same chapter, David thought he might find shelter in the little town of Kaleah. This is a place where David had broken a siege from the Philistines. You would think after he saves this town, they would have his back. But the Bible says that God is the one that told David that the men of Kaleah would deliver David up to Saul. So David and his men have to run again for their life. And finally, in 1 Samuel 27, David now finds a new home amongst the Philistines, his old enemies. Achish, one of the Philistine kings, gave David the town of Ziglag to live in and call his own. But while David was away marching into battle, Amalekite raiders come in and capture Ziglag and burn it to the ground. Now, I quickly summarize this turn of events over the course of 1 first, first Samuel, right? But again, this is years of David's life where he is on the run. Time and time again, after he thought things were okay, he found a safe place where in some cases he even kind of him, him and Saul see eye to eye. They uh, come to an agreement. And time and again, David thinks, okay, I'm safe now. Me and Saul are on the same page now. But the next day, Saul would change his mind. And then David would have to flee once again. And you can imagine it must have seemed to David that there was no safe place for him anymore. Where could he go? The king. Imagine if the president wanted to hunt you down. That would be crazy. But you can imagine, not just the Secret Service, the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard even, right? They, everyone would be looking out for you, and that was the case for David. Where could he go? And the king, although he was a wicked king at this point, was after him. No one wanted to face the wrath of King Saul. It's one thing if, you know, you want to save David, hide him a little bit, but if the king and the whole entourage Put you on the news. Fox 5 News, here you are. Uh, young Trey Henderson has uh, 
hidden away, the captive David. Now I'm on the news. And that's not a good place to be. You don't want everyone knowing your, knowing your business, right? And that was the case for everyone that tried to hide David. They eventually gave him up. Even family and friends were no help. Even his best friend, the son of the king, couldn't even stop his own father. Even when he thought he was outside the influence of King Saul, still he found himself running, like in the case of Ziglag, having to go back, having to flee from where he thought he was safe. And so throughout this process, however, what's amazing about it is still somehow, while being on the run, while fleeing for his life, David can still put pen to paper and we can still get the Psalms that we read about in the word of God, like our text in chapter 27. And in the physical, right, David never managed to find the perfect hiding spot. We just saw all his attempts failed in that regard. But in the spiritual, David learned that the ultimate sanctuary, the ultimate hiding place is found in the Lord. We read it earlier, but this is probably one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, that one thing have I desired of the Lord. And David would say, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For when trouble is going on all around me, when I'm in troubled times, the only one who can hide me is God. Right. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me and he shall set me up upon a rock. And maybe no one is literally hunting you down or trying to kill you this morning. But all of us, we can admit we do face physical, emotional and spiritual dangers. Maybe you've said it before. I just want to get away from what's going on in my life right now. I just I just need to get out of this circumstance. I need a break. I need peace. I just wish I had a place where I can just lay low and hide from what's going on all around me. And I have good news this morning. There is such a place of refuge. There is a hiding place, and his name is Jesus. Amen? So the first point I want to make this morning is found in the very first verse of chapter 27. And that is, the Lord is our light and our salvation. The Lord is my light. Anybody glad that God is our light? Amen. Amen. Have you been illuminated along this journey that we walk with God where he has just shown us areas and places where his light shines that maybe we thought we hid that thing away or, or maybe, you know, we thought he didn't see that thing. But I'm glad God sees everything and he's able to reveal everything in the light. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12 that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you look back at creation before the sun was created, God was the source of all light. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that. And it says the source of that light the first thing that God created, the light, that's the first thing the Bible calls good before anything else, before he formed man of the dust of the earth, before he made the animals, the, the, the fish in the sea. Light was the first thing. God said, let there be light. God saw the light and said that it was good. 
I don't know about you, but when you get to heaven, hope you understand there's not going to be a sun there. There's not going to be a sun that's going to light up or illuminate what we see. When we walk on streets of gold, the light's not going to come from some sun in the sky, but the light's going to come from Jesus himself. And Jesus is the source of light. God is light. When we need Jesus in our lives, we don't have to fear darkness. Understand that. When we talk about trouble, David was years ahead of his time in knowing the place to turn when darkness was around him. But light overcomes all darkness. Have you ever tried to, uh, this, is, this is maybe a weird analogy, but have you ever been in a dark room and you turn on the smallest piece of light and then you find out you can see, right? But let me ask you a question. What if you were to bring the smallest piece of darkness into this room where we're sitting in light? What would happen to that darkness? It wouldn't even exist anymore because there's no place for it to hide, right? So John chapter 1 and verse 5, John is talking about creation here, and he says, And the light shines, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The New Living Translation says it this way, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Extinct, uh, the uh, English Standard Version says, and the darkness will never overcome it. The Message Version says, and darkness can't put out the light. Now, I don't know about you, but the summary here is very, very clear. Light will always dominate over darkness. In every circumstance, light will always win. And so if you find yourself in a, in a moment, in a season where there's trouble, where there's darkness around you, all you have to do is focus on the light. And who is the light? You need to focus on the Lord. Focus on Jesus Christ. Amen. And David, he understood this revelation. No matter the darkness surrounding him, the trouble in the midst of his situation, he still followed the Lord who was his light. And it's no coincidence, as we look at the very first chapter of Psalms 27, that the Lord being our light is tied to the Lord also being our salvation. As a testimony of the saving power of God, all of us have this testimony and has, have experienced this transformation. When we're saved, the light of God can truly flood our life. And what I mean by that is the closer you get to God, the more he starts to illuminate those crevices, those places where we try to hide our iniquity and sin. And when we keep our hearts closed up tight, hiding our sin, keeping it in, not only do we harbor that darkness inside of us, but we also begin to shut out or close the door on the light of God's grace, on God's forgiveness, on God's presence. But a transformation happens when you don't shut that door, but you allow as much light in as possible. Amen. That's when we start to be open our eyes. We start to get revelation and then we can repent of those sins that God has showed us where we've erred in. We can invite him in and it's really, it's like throwing a door open to sunlight. How many, I'm, I'm not a fan of this, but when you wake up in the morning, has anyone ever opened the window and just boom, hit you with sunlight? And it's difficult to sleep. Cause I don't know about you, but even with your eyes closed, light still somehow finds a way in. Even with your eyes closed, there's a difference where mm, something is shining right now. And, and 
If you ever had a flashlight or something like that pointed at your eyes, even with your eyes closed, you can still feel the effect of that. And the more we allow God in, the more it's hard to ignore when there's darkness in our life because the light will always reveal what's going on. Amen. Darkness cannot resist light. No amount of darkness, no matter how deep or vast, has ever snuffed out so much as a candle of the light of Jesus Christ. No matter how small its flame, how much less chance does darkness have against light or against Jesus? Amen. And so I want to talk about again later on in this verse of Psalms 27. David really is a beacon of hope. He's a great example to all of us. The Lord is, he says, my light and my salvation. But he also goes on to say the Lord is the strength of my life. And I don't know about you, but that's to me, that's a very, very strong statement to make, especially for a man of David's of David's caliber. Because from the outside looking in, if you read the story of, of David's life, David began to, or he goes on to become a very, very popular person. I don't know what the man looked like. He, he did get to marry a, a woman named Michelle. Maybe he looked like me. I don't know. Um, but the Bible tells us that David was popular. He even had the young women of the time singing songs about him in the streets, that Saul kills his thousands and David kills his ten thousands, right? David would become popular even while he was on the run. He would have this ragtag group of men that would follow him. They would become known as mighty men. And many of them would also slay giants just like David. They had the perfect example. They wanted to be like David, and they would go on to do very, very similar things. You could argue or make an argument that the strength of David's life was his charisma or his character was his strength. By all accounts, David will be or he even was well respected by his enemies. You better believe as soon as David killed Goliath, every giant nation that had a giant knew who David was. They respected this man's power in a sense because no one wanted to face him on the battlefield. And so you could make the case even that his natural talent was his strength. By all appearances, David must have been strong. After all, after he killed Goliath, he even had the ability to wield the man's sword to cut his head off. And if Goliath's spear, the Bible says, was like a weaver's beam, we can only assume that his sword was forged on a similar scale. And even before fighting Goliath, right, even before he slew the giant, 1 Samuel 17 tells us how David slew a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Come on now, that man, I mean, that's a bad, that's a bad dude. He, he was strong. If I, I don't picture a little scrawny David no more when I, when, I, when, I, when I read about that. You know, David must have been, you know, they didn't have, you know, Iron Man or, or Mr. America or anything at, at that time. But he was Mr. Israel. You better believe it. All right. David must have been bench pressing that harp out in the wilderness. Something. Right. But when you think about this man. Not only was he physically strong, but he had to be mentally strong, too, because 
David was a warrior that won battle after battle, which meant he had to have some type of tactical mind. He wasn't just out there, oh, today we're just going to go over here, fight that battle, we're going to win, we're going to go over there. No, there was some planning, there was some cunning. Like he, he had to think tactically, and so he had to have some mental capacity here that was probably different from every other person at the time, or else they would have been out winning these battles. But in spite of his physical and his mental strength, the Bible tells us David did not rely on his own abilities for safety or to chase away the fear that his battles could have easily birthed in him. He didn't rely on his own ability when he was nervous or scared or, or on the run. Instead, even while in the prime of his strength, David looked to the Lord as the true strength of his life forever, or else he wouldn't have declared that in Psalms 27 and 1, that God is the strength of my life. Now, I want you to really think about this for a moment. Is the Lord the strength of your life? How many of you immediately point to the Lord when someone says, man, you did a fantastic job on that? Well, God gets all the credit, not me. Do you really point to God as the strength, the source of everything you're able to do? Or do you say, ha ha, you know, I bench pressed 500 yesterday. That's the reason why I got, you know, that's the reason why I won that battle. Or, you know, I'm the smartest man in the room. That's the reason why I won this battle. Come on now. Are you honest when the spotlight is on you of who gets all the credit? Who is the one that is the source of the ability that you have? Or do you take credit for yourself? David was very, very open here in telling that the strength of his life was the Lord. Now, why do we often lean on our own strength instead of relying on God? Ask yourself that question. Why do you rely on your own strength rather than on the strength of God? You know, all too often we wait until we're weak before we turn to God for strength. We wait until the last minute before we turn to the Lord when, when we're like, God, I can't handle it anymore. God, I'm weak in this area. I need you to, to step in. But we've tried a hundred other things before we've come to the Lord. Why do we wait until the last minute to do those things? I'm thankful still, even if you have waited until the last minute, I can testify there's been times in my life where I've done that. But I'm still thankful that God has always been there when I've needed him to be there. He's always been faithful to us. As the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, that my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we realize that we can't do it on our own, when we don't have the strength to overcome the world because we don't, even though we try it all the time anyway. No, our strength has to be rooted in the Lord. The truth is we are never strong enough, again, to face this world without God. People are trying every day. And they're, they're fighting an uphill battle. But God is not simp simply a momentary burst of strength. He's not, he's not to be used like a shot of adrenaline when we need it to get out of a dangerous situation. As David said, the Lord is the strength of my life. That means that God is the strength or he should be the strength of our lives. Not just one area in our life, but our whole life. Every part of our life, from our family to when we're on the job to when even if you're doing a hobby, God should be the strength of our life. 
No part of our lives should be kept separate from God. We don't put God in a box and say, here you go, God, have access to this area. You can't touch this side. No, you're going to have a struggle if you decide to, to treat God that way. Yes, he'll be faithful when you open that door. He'll, he'll, he'll come in when you need him to. But your life would be so much better off if you give God access to every part of your life. No part of our lives would ever be better without God in it. Amen. Next, in, 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 as we look through um, this beginning part of Psalms 27, David boldly declares here, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? My heart shall not fear. In this will I be confident. How many have ever tried to like pep talk yourself? I ain't going to be afraid right now. My children don't like walking through the house in the dark. And every time I'm like, go do something, they got to go get their sibling. Come on, can you come with me? Can you come with me? I'm like, don't be afraid, just go. Turn on all the lights, right? The light will shine in the darkness, right? But how many have ever tried to pep talk yourself? I ain't going to be afraid of this thing. We get sick. I ain't afraid, God. I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of this thing. But we're human, right? How could David... Surrounded by enemies on every side, how could he be so confident? How could he? He's been on the run for years, right, as we described earlier. How can he be confident in what's going to take place? The simple answer is because he trusted and believed that the Lord was his light, that he was his salvation, and that also the strength in his life didn't come from within. It, it came from God. And what God was to David, God wants to be to you and I today. More than we even understand, God wants to be our strength. He stands and is eagerly prepared to be everything we need if we'd only let him be exactly what we need. If David had been afraid, who could blame him in this, in this instance? As we began in Psalms 27, he spoke of wicked enemies attacking him, trying to eat up his flesh. Come on now. I know we don't have cannibals like this in America, really, but if someone was trying to nip and eat your flesh. That's a scary thing. That's, that's, that's not normal. That's just, it's not. I don't know why he said those words, but literally, that is not normal. Someone wants to eat me. No, no. But there's wicked people all around him, armies that are besieging him and war rising up against him. When's the last time, again, someone tried to cannibalize you, either literally or figuratively? These were some bad characters that were after David. But David put far more emphasis on who his God was than who his enemies were. And if we could just do that in our own life, so often we illuminate the problem instead of illuminating God. Instead of saying you know, God, you're so much bigger than my problem. We say, God, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't overcome this problem. God, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to find the, the money. I'm not, I don't know where I'm going to find the strength. I don't know where I'm going to find the answer to this problem. When all along, if we turn that around and say, God, you are already my answer to the problem I'm going, God. You are already my provider to this situation. You knew before I was even going to enter into this circumstance that you were going to be everything that I need. How about we start turning around that narrative 
and put more emphasis on our God than on the issue that we're going through. So I said it earlier that Psalms 27 and 4 is, it is literally, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. That one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, as I studied for this lesson, I'll admit that I'm amazed every time I think about this scripture, the context, the conditions at the time where this scripture is written. From the studies that I've, that I've delved into and I've looked into this for a long time, but Psalms 27 and especially the first half of this chapter that we read, this was written in a time where David was on the run from King Saul. Many believe that this was written during the time when, when David ran to the tabernacle and he met with the priest Ahimelech. This was written when Doag tattletailed on David when he told Saul that David had been hiding in the house of the Lord. And so as we learned this morning, being on the run was not a comfortable place for David. It was not a place where David would have chosen if he had a chance to choose what was going on in his life. In fact, in this case specifically, when David ran to the tabernacle, he ran for a reason. Not only did he run to Ahimelech the priest, but David didn't have any food at this time. David didn't even have a weapon that he could defend himself with. The Bible tells us that Ahimelech, he saw that David didn't have any food, so he actually gave David showbread. David got to eat the food that he wasn't supposed to eat. He got to partake of something that he wasn't supposed to partake in. God was so gracious to him, and the priest there blessed David by allowing him to eat food that was consecrated and, and wholly set apart unto the Lord. Better yet, in this tabernacle was the sword of that giant Goliath. Of all places in the kingdom of Israel, the one place where David finds a weapon, not only has he wielded this weapon before because he chopped off the head of the giant, but now David doesn't have a weapon to defend himself. Ahimelech's like, why don't you go take that sword? Now you at least can defend yourself from everyone that wants to attack you. There was a reason that David was there. He didn't have anything to fight back with, and he was hungry. So that's the reason David finds his way in there. And so when I, when I take that context into, into consideration as I look at this verse in, chap, in, in verse 4, one of the amazing parts about this verse is it found in the very first two words. David says one thing, one thing. Now, what's amazing to me is when I think about what I go through and the things I face, that David wasn't beating around the bush here. He was direct. He was punctual. He was certain in his requests and in his desire. You can see we normally, when we're having to face trouble, when we're having to go through a situation or a circumstance, when we bring it to God, we usually don't come to God with one thing. We don't, we don't come to God and say, I need one thing, Lord. Nope, that's just, that's just not how we're wired. We come to God with multiple things. We pull a list out. <laughs> Boom, lay that thing down. We pull a list of requests out to God. 
because we want our cake and we want to eat it too. I'm just being honest. If we put ourselves in David's shoes, then I wouldn't blame you for wanting multiple things. How about wanting shelter? I don't have a place to live. I'm on the run from somebody. I don't have anywhere to call home. I don't know about you, but I like the house that I live in. Can you imagine if you didn't have that house? You didn't have a place where you can call home. That's one thing I desire. I need my bed. I need a place where I know I ain't going to have rain on me, snow on me, bugs on me. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want any of that. That's a simple desire that you can imagine David probably had. Maybe David also wanted to see his family again. David was married again to a wonderful wife named Michelle. They probably had children. Over time, David had family. He couldn't even go back to, to Jesse to see his, his family. He couldn't go back to see his brothers because he's on the run. Maybe that was a desire that David had. Maybe he just desired peace. Because for years, being on the run, there is no peace. There is no, there is no time, a moment to catch my breath. Everywhere I turn, there's a soldier over there. There's, a, there's a, an informant over there. After running and seeing Doag, you know, run his mouth over to King Saul, who can he trust at this time? Who can he trust? Maybe he just wanted peace. Maybe he wanted this desire to see this madman, this king, overthrown. Because I don't, wanna, I don't want this king chasing me for the rest of my life. Maybe he desired for King Saul to be destroyed. Because David knew from, a, from being a child that he was the next person in line to become king. Why don't we just nip this in the bud? Why don't we just take care of King Saul right now? Let me be king, God. Let me end this. Because not only was this affecting David's life, it was also affecting the whole nation of Israel. Not only was David not safe, but even if people wanted to help David, they weren't safe because Saul and his army would show up, right? Saul and his army would show up. I don't go into detail about this, but on a side note, Ahimelech, the priest who helped David, he would be killed by that very same person, Doeg, for helping David out in this scenario. If the man of God can be killed, who in the world can be safe from this evil, wicked king? So you can imagine, David probably had a ton of desires of things that he wanted to happen in his life. But David doesn't write any of that down in this scripture. David is very plain, and he says, there's only one thing that I desire. His list in this difficult time wasn't a large list. It only had one item. The one thing David desired more than anything else was simply the presence of the Lord. That's where he felt safest. And that should come as no surprise because the safest place for all of us to be is as close to Jesus Christ as possible. Close to God as possible. You know, most people in David's day, they saw the house of the Lord as a place to go to occasionally. Three times a year is when they would come to the tabernacle. Everyone was expected to meet at the tabernacle on one of these feast days or one of these high feasts. Unfortunately, the same is kind of the similar today. A lot of people don't come to the house of God on a regular basis. You guys are the exception as you're here this morning. But a lot of people only go to church on Christmas and Easter. And I'm not here to, to knock or, or, or to, to, to get out on anybody in that 
case, but, you know, the same mindset can even affect the most consistent Christian who attends church regularly, but does not come into the house of God with the desire and expectation of truly entering into the presence of God. Some of us, we come to church just to check off that check in the block. We come to church because we know it's the right thing to do, but we still don't have the right mindset, the right, that right desire to be in the presence of God. And, but I'm glad this morning that David is a good example for us. He shows us the right mindset that we got to have. His longing was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He never wanted to be out of the presence of God. There are psalms where he, he says, God, hide not thy face from me. Don't take your presence from me. Even when he messed up with Bathsheba, the one thing he prayed was, God, please don't take your presence from me. Whether he was on the run from Saul, playing his harp with his sheep, sitting on the throne, David was a man after God's own heart. In that way, the story of David encourages us not to just seek God's presence. I'm sorry, David's, uh, the story of David encourages us to seek the presence of God every time we come to church. And not just every time that we come to church, but every single day of our life, we need to seek the presence of God. Because the truth is, God is not just limited to these four walls. We serve an omnipresent God. That means that God can be and he is everywhere. It also means that we can take God with us. You don't have to leave him right here when we walk out of these doors, but we can take him with us. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We can feel God every day. If you've gone a day without feeling him, you can turn that around right now. In the Old Testament, before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the priest, their best bet to have an encounter with God was once a year. One time they got behind the veil and into the Holy of Holies. But that's not the case with us today. God has tore the veil. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 tells us what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have heard of God and ye are not your own. We must not miss this opportunity that every day of our lives we can have an encounter with the Lord. Every day, every day. How many feel it when you don't have an encounter with the Lord? How many realize when you've got midway through your day and you're like, you know what, God, I haven't had a conversation with you today. And just look at how my day is going. It's been a struggle this morning. But it's a different case when it's been a struggle, but you know God is right there with you the whole time, right? Then you know there's a peace about what you're going through. Amen. I'm going to hurry through my notes this morning as we get ready to, to close out. But how many of you have ever been to like an art exhibit? Anybody? No? Not me either, Stephen. I know. Right? We're not art, we're not art guys. But uh, how many of you have ever been to a place where there was no flash photography? Where there's like the, the police are there, the phone police. They're, they're watching you. You pull out that phone. Nope. Put it away. Put that thing away. There's a funny example in, in the, the lesson text that we're given as we're preparing for this lesson. But they talked about the Sistine Chapel and that there are literally 
bodyguards, or I should say, kind of like policemen of the Sistine Chapel. If you ever take your phone in there, they will confiscate that thing and they won't let you in. But what's crazy is here these guards are. They've become so accustomed to the beauty that's right behind them that they've become so accustomed to it, that's not even what they're there for to recognize. They ignore the glory of what's going on in the place that they're in in favor of simply enforcing the rules. And sometimes we act that way with the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to take, in this case, David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, but to behold the beauty of the Lord. Think about all the people in the world who don't know God. They do not know what it's like to stand and raise their hands, just like we're going to get an opportunity to do in a few minutes. They don't know what it's like to worship, to feel the beautiful spirit of God as it moves upon them. They don't know the peace that Jesus can bring to their life. They have yet to experience the light and the salvation of the Lord. That's why it's important for us that every time we get together, we have to experience a move of God. Not only is it so that we can see the beauty of the Lord, because I don't know about you, but I want to see the beauty of God. I want to see God revealed to me more and more every single day. But a lot of times we take that for granted. We come in here and we check the blocks off and we, we want to get to the rest of our day. But if we're not careful, then it would be a shame that the person that walks through these doors for the very first time, that the atmosphere that we're able to create, because we're so in awe of the beauty of God, it would be a shame that they miss that opportunity for themselves. That instead of us being so much involved in the beauty of what God is doing, we become like those police officers and say, oh, no photos. Oh, nope, you can't do that here. You can't, you can't behave like that here. I don't want to become a stumbling block to someone else because I'm more, you know, I'm more wanting to know that people aren't, you know, abusing what's going on in the house of God but yet missing out on the beauty of God. I don't, I don't want to be that way. Amen? So it's important that every time we get a chance to come together, that we see the beauty of the Lord on display. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning as I come to a close? I'm not going to get to all my notes this morning, but in Psalms 27 and 4, Again, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. And twice in this, in this passage of Scripture, or actually once here and later on in verse 8, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. In verse 8, he says, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. That word seek there is the Hebrew word balkash. Very, very weird. We wouldn't walk around saying that this morning. But the word in the Hebrew literally means to search out or to strive for. But it goes a step further, and it means to do those things by any method possible. 
If I were to put it in the American English of today, it simply means leave no stone, no stone unturned in our pursuit of the Lord. Look high and look low to find God. Search for God. Dig for God. Hunt down God by any means necessary. Explore him. Investigate him. How many have ever seen an investigation? They go through detail after detail. But that's literally what this word seek that we find here means. Track God down by any means necessary to find him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and 7 that ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye will find. Knock and the door it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And as we look at the story of David, time and time again, when David is facing battles, tragedy, or key decisions, we find that he would always inquire or seek after the Lord. He would call for the priests. One of the priests was Abiathar. David would inquire of the Lord, and the Lord would always answer him and tell him the right course of action. Sometimes the right course was for David to run and hide. Other times, the right course was for him to stand and fight or stage an ambush behind the enemy. How many understand that seeking and obeying the counsel of the Lord is every bit as much a source of protection as high walls or a body of armor? Because there is a powerful assurance when we know exactly what God wants us to do. There's no question. If God has told me to do this, then that's exactly what I should do. When we are in alignment to his will, we can stand on his word. And we always know that God will have our back in that scenario. But on the other hand, there is a vulnerability. There is a defenselessness when we find ourselves outside of the will of God. When we're having to guess at what we think the right thing to do is. Or better yet, we deliberately choose to ignore or disobey what God has asked us to do. There is a danger there, a vulnerability there. David had to learn this lesson in his life too. He didn't always obey the counsel of the Lord, and he had to pay in many instances for his decision. And so this morning as we come to a close, I want to challenge you to seek after God in every area of your life. Explore him. Find out as much as you can about him because God is always there willing to pour into us if we would just seek after him. If you don't know the answer to what you're going through, if you have a question about what the next decision you should make in your life, I guarantee you that you'll one, find it in this word of God, which he has already set and prepared for us, or he will answer you. He will give you the direction that you need. And I want to hold up and want to give a disclaimer for a second. Sometimes that answer is wait. We want a yes or no answer, but sometimes it's wait. And there is at the end of that verse, I didn't get to it, but at the end of Psalms 27, David says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and he will hide me. He will take care of me in the waiting. How many will do that? How many will seek after God today? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. 
To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.